May we turn in our Bibles, please, to the 17th chapter of John. And in the 10th verse, we find these words that I shall take as our text. I am glorified in them. I am glorified in them. <clears throat> Last uh, Sunday, I gave you an exposition from the 11th chapter of John on the raising of Lazarus. And our Lord said that the sickness of Lazarus was that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And then later on, as the events progressed and the women were questioning the whole situation, they said if the Lord had been here, he could have kept him from dying, but now that he's dead, why, they weren't so sure. And so he said, said I not unto you that if ye would believe, ye would see the glory of God. And after we finished the message, I got to thinking a little bit more about this glory of God in relationship to our Savior. And if you run this through the Gospel of John, just the Gospel of John alone, you find a tremendous emphasis on it. And it brings you right around to the shorter catechism of our church. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And as you turn through the gospel according to John, I'm going to do it with you in just a moment, you find a tremendous buildup in this matter of the Son being glorified and the Son giving glory to God and then all of us giving glory to the Son and to the Father. And then we come to this great 17th chapter of John in which the emphasis is virtually entirely on this matter of the Son being glorified, glorify thy Son that thy Son may also glorify thee. And the Son is saying to the Father, you give me glory and I'll return the glory to you and then here are those that thou hast given me and they're mine and thou didst give them to me and I'm going to be glorified in them. So now let's just take that phrase. I am glorified in them. And let us turn through these passages and let's understand what the Lord would have us to do in order to glorify him now. If our chief end, if the very purpose of our being here is to the end that we shall glorify the Lord and we shall glorify our Savior and we shall glorify God. And that's something that we're to do now and that's something we're going to continue to do and that's something that's going to be a part of our delight throughout all the ages that are before us. What then does it mean to glorify God? And what then is required of us in order that we might bring this glory unto the Son? that the Son may glorify the Father. And it's that emphasis that we're approaching in this passage when the Lord Jesus Christ said, Said I not unto you, if you believed, you'd see the glory of God. 
And that's the emphasis that we have here in the account of the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. This illness is, is not unto death, but this illness is that God shall be glorified through it and in it. And as a matter of fact, as I study this and we look into it, no matter what experience you have, no matter what uh, trouble or trial, no matter what triumph or success, no matter what it may be, in that particular circumstance where you find yourself, you are to glorify God. So it's very comprehensive, it's all-inclusive, and here we have set before us in an emphasis which our Savior gives us, I am glorified in them. Well, now let's take this 17th chapter of John for just a moment. Open your Bible to it and let's follow this. And our Lord Jesus Christ begins in verse 1 by saying, The hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. The Son says, now I'm going to give the glory to the Father and I want you to make it possible for me to give all the glory that I can unto the Father. And in doing so, the Son will bring all the glory that it is possible and place it in the hands of the Father. Now verse 4. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. The glory which the Son gave to the Father was obeying him and completing the ministry that the Father had assigned him. And the climax of that ministry, the fullness of that ministry, was his death upon the cross. He finished that work. Now this is what he tells us himself over in the 12th chapter. And will you turn back to the 12th chapter according to John? And in the 23rd verse we read, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now in the 17th chapter of John, our Lord says, I have glorified thee, I have finished the work. And now he says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then he proceeds to discuss his own sacrifice. And in verse 27 he says, For this cause came I into the world. Father, glorify thy name. And the Son is telling us that the glory which he's going to present to the Father and the glory which is going to reach up into heaven for the honor of the Father's name will be the finished work which the Son will have completed. And this finished work which the Son will have completed will be, of course, his death upon the cross. And so we come down in verse 31 and we read, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This, he said, signifying what death he should die. And in the midst of this, a voice came from heaven. A voice came from heaven. Verse 28 saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. 
The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Beloved, the voice from heaven was of the voice of the Lord speaking to the Son, saying, I have glorified it, I will glorify it, and when you move to that cross and die for the sins of this race, and you make possible the redemption of a lost race estranged from me by their sin under the curse and the wrath of the law because of their disobedience. When you do that, the Son will bring glory to the Father. Isn't it marvelous that the Apostle Paul said God should bid, forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? And if you're going to understand what it means to glorify God, you're going to have to understand what the Son of God did when he obeyed the Father and he made the sacrifice and the atonement was perfected and it was finished. And it's in that great work of the cross of Calvary that the Son of God brought this glory to the Father. Now that's what stands out first when you turn to this passage. All right, now look at verse 5 of chapter 17. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I just touch on that here because I'm coming back to it a few minutes when we get down toward the end. The son is saying, Father, here I am. I've finished the work. I've paid the price. I've made the atonement. Now I want you to receive me into glory and I want you to glorify me with my own, my own self. And the glory which I had with thee before the world ever came into being, before there ever was any creation, I want that glory to be manifested upon me now from thy hand. And he said, I have declared thy name unto men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy words. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and they have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. And then you come to verse 10 where he says, I'm glorified in them. Beloved, there are three things in that text that tells us so plainly the way in which we glorify the Son. Three things that are set forth. And the Son has told us what they are, and then after he tells us what they are, he says, I am glorified in them. This is the way those whom thou hast given me come back with that glory, and they give me the glory that I desire from them. Now this is the way. Will you pay special attention now? Verse 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them. That's the first point. He said earlier, I have manifested thy name unto them, and uh, they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. 
The words were given to the Son, and they know that these words are of God. And beloved, the first thing that you and I have to do if we're going to glorify our God is to receive His Word. That's it. That's where everything starts. That's the beginning of everything is when we're willing to receive the Word of the living God and accept it as such. Now the Son says, Father, I brought the Word to them. I've delivered the message to them. I've given them thy words, and I'm so happy there that it's in the plural, it's in the plural. Everything that he said, everything that he did was the words of God. And he said, they have received them, and we believe today that the finest and the most beautiful way in which you can glorify God is to believe what he says. Just believe what he says. As a matter of fact, that's all God wants you and me to do, is to believe what he says. And we accept what he says because he said it, and we accept what he says on the basis of his authority, and we accept what he says on the basis of our confidence and our trust in him. He's not a man that he should lie. He is the living and the true God and he's delivered unto us a message which we can believe and believing we can find our souls saved and we can find the joy of the Lord which comes from this faith and from this word. Last night down in Cape May I was requested, we had a, a great crowd there last night and I was requested to speak on the new confession. In fact, I think I'm going to have to speak on it every week down there, every week that I'm there, because it's the big issue. It's the big issue everywhere. There were some ladies down there from Detroit, several of them, and they're Presbyterians, and, and they were so disturbed because opposition to this thing has just seemed to collapse. And they wanted to know. And beloved, when you take that new confession which they have written, the United Presbyterian Church, and you quote the sections in there, and what says the Holy Scriptures given under the guidance of the Holy Spirit are nevertheless the words of man conditioned by the thought forms and the times in which they were written. Beloved, that confession of faith rejects the Bible as the Word of God. And the first thing that any church must do, as a matter of fact, you can't have a church. There is no such thing as a church unless you're going to present the Word of God because that's the ministry and the purpose and the function of the church to begin with. And if this organization presents anything else than the infallible Word of God to the people, you can call it a church. You can say it's some kind of an organization down on the street corner, but it is not carrying out the mission and the purpose of the church, which is to declare, simply to declare what God has said. And the whole heart of our problem today in glorifying our Savior is that inside of his own house, inside of the own circle where he's to work and to be manifest in the candlestick that's lifting up his light, inside of this place there is unbelief in the Word of God. Oh, beloved, there's no greater way for you to glorify God, I tell you, than to just take the Bible and say, Lord, I believe it and delight in it and then seek to do what it tells you to do. No greater way than that. 
and all the trouble we're having right now, in fact, everything stems from one great failure, the failure to believe God when he spoke it. I went down to that hearing this week for the Senate on this matter of prayer. Frankly, beloved, to me it's the most preposterous thing that any clergyman of any church or any group would get up and tell the Congress of the United States they were not in favor of the children praying when they opened their classes in the morning. I just can't possibly imagine how anything could be so obtuse and so out of order. If the senators can pray, and they do, they have a chaplain who leads them in prayer every time they open their session. If the legislators of our, our several states can have chaplains and can pray, why forbid the children from bowing their heads in the opening of the day and just pray for the president and pray for the Congress and thank God for the country? How in the world could anybody ever think about saying it wasn't right to pray? I can't possibly understand. It's completely beyond me. Problem is, these gentlemen who are opposing prayer, they don't live in the same land I live in. They live in another world. That's your problem. But, beloved, this whole business of believing God, of calling upon God, of looking to God, is a matter of giving glory to our God. And that's all it is, just giving glory to God. Take him at his word. Now look at the second thing that our Savior says. And have known, that's in verse 8, surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Beloved, the whole purpose of believing the word is that we might believe in Christ. Everything that the Bible gives us, the whole design and purpose of a special revelation, it's special, it's extra. It was delivered because we had to have the plan of God for our redemption presented to us by God. And the whole order of redemption that God has planned and ordered and designed and has fulfilled is all in Jesus Christ. And now our Savior says, first you accept the word that I brought you, all these words, and you believe that they're from God. Now he says, you have believed that the Father did send me. And beloved, he's the only one that the Father has ever sent and he'll never send another one. There won't be another Christ. There won't be another Jesus. There won't be a second, third, fourth, fifth Messiah. There's only one. And he hath been sent from the Father. And he says, they have received me. They believe that I came here for this purpose and this one purpose to lift them up out of death, to give unto them eternal life, to pardon their sins, and to set them on the way to heaven while they witness and struggle down here below. The second thing that you have to do to bring glory to the Father, I am glorified in them. The second thing you have to do is to believe that the Father sent Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ came down here to do this great and mighty work of reconciliation, bringing us back to the Father so we could be at peace with God. 
Isn't it interesting when you get to talking about glorifying the Father and man's chief end is to glorify God? That you don't get down to a lot of little less puny things in the beginning. No, no, we're going to get into everything before we get through. But you start out with a big thing. You start out with a word. You start out with Christ. And he says, I'm glorified in this. Now, beloved, I've reached the point. Well, if you do believe that God sent the Son, from that time on, you're not your own. From that time on, you don't belong to anyone else but to Him. Once you come to where you believe that the Father sent the Son and the Son came to redeem you, from that moment on, He takes total and complete possession of your being, your life, your everything. In fact, your eternity is in his keeping and in his care, for he's provided it all for you. And the moment he takes possession of you, from that time on, your life is a glory to him because everything you do from that moment on is in his service and to the end that he may be pleased with your conduct and with your speech. I know we emphasize it. We say, Lord, Lord. That word has in it everything. To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Why callest thou me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If you're going to call me Lord, you're going to do the things which I say. And if you do call me Lord and don't do the things which I say, then there's something wrong with your call. You're in a position of hypocrisy and shame. Why callest thou me Lord? He is the Lord of life. He's the Lord of death. He's the Lord of heaven. He's the Lord of eternity. And we come to him and we give him the full subscription in that glorious title that Paul gives him over and over again in his epistles our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who he is. All right, now let's move a step further into the third point that you find here in bringing this glory to the Lord. He says in verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Beloved, in the third place, if you're going to glorify the Lord, you must permit him to keep you. If you're going to glorify the Lord, as he says, you must permit him to take care of you. You must live a life of faith in him. You must trust him for everything. 
My beloved, I want you to come to this point because this is where you and I are right now. There's so many things that you and I do. We just forget about the Lord. We don't depend upon the Lord. He is telling us that he has kept us from the evil one. He's kept us from the enemies. He said, uh, they've hated you. They'll hate me because they hated me first. And he is telling us that he calls his people to himself to be different, to be peculiar, to be separate, to be holy unto himself. And he says, I have kept them. Do you mean to say that the God who sent his word down here and gave it to us, we've recognized it and believed it, that the God who sent his son down here and he was crucified for us and he was raised from the dead and believed it, do you mean to say that God can't take care of you every day that you live and he can't give you the breath which you breathe? Beloved, Jesus Christ wants nothing more than to see in you just simple trust in him and your faith that he will take care of you. He will keep you. He will protect you. He will take care of you all along life's way. Now that's the third thing that's in there. Oh, he says, I am glorified in them. Now let's move on to this fourth point. And here our Lord begins to expand and develop this beautiful thought. And if you'll turn over, well, I won't turn to that just now, but turn down just a little further. And he says here in verse 22, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. Verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Here the Son now says that he's going to be glorified in us. He outlines three clear ways in which it's to be done. And then he proceeds and says, Father, the glory that thou gavest me, I'm going to share with them. I want you to share it with them. All that you've done to me from before the foundation of the world, all that you've done to me in raising me from the dead, all that you've done to me in lifting me up to the right hand of the Father, all the glory that you've bestowed upon me, I want you to give it to them too. I want them to share it. <clears throat> the other night out in, I remember it so well, out in Oil City, I was out in one of these fields and I've been up there four times to Oil City, Franklin. Four times we've been up there. Dr. Rich and I were up there a couple of times. It gets to be when you go back to one of these cow pastures, the same people come back to see you. And you remember them. You see their faces. One day old man came up to me and says, Dr. McIntyre, he says, uh, my wife and I were coming over here tonight. We've been planning it. But he says she can't come. She says she's gone to glory. And the way he said it, she's gone to glory. 
glory. I know we speak about heaven and we speak about being with the Lord, and, but how often do we speak about going to glory? It's another way of expressing it, isn't it? It struck me. I hadn't heard it. I remember as a boy I used to hear, glory, glory. Somehow or other I can see Harvey Springer around her house shouting, glory, glory, glory. Harvey had a glory about the way he preached. But heaven is going to be a place where we partake and share in the glory that God has given to the Son. That's where it's going to be. And then when you read the account of his resurrection from the dead, our Savior, and then we're told that the power that raised him from the dead is going to raise us from the dead. And we're going to be presented with him. We're going to be presented to the Lord. And the glory which was in him on his resurrection day will be in the glorious body which we have in that hour when he gathers us to himself. Father, he says, I will that they which thou hast given me be with me where I am. Did you ever stop to think how natural that thing is, how natural that order is? You receive the word and that glorifies God. You receive the Son, that glorifies God. You live by faith in the Son and that glorifies God. There's nothing left but glory in the end. It's the most natural order. You start out with the Word to the glory of God. You come to the Son to the glory of God. You come to a life of faith to the glory of God. And when you get down to the end of the life of faith and to the end of the road in which you believed and trust Jesus Christ, what is there left? To be with me where I am, that they may share my glory and may behold my glory. And if man's chief end is to glorify God, through the Word and through the Son and through the life of faith, if that's man's chief end, then the fullness of glory will be his blessed reward when he comes into the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, the sufferings of this present time, beloved, are not anything to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know our Presbyterian forebears that wrote the Westminster Confession and they approached this confession simply from the standpoint of what the Bible taught, which is proper, and not from the standpoint of their own shifting experience, which is now the basis of the new confession of 1967. But when our forefathers went to study and to make this confession, they come to the great and glorious conclusion that the one purpose, the chief end for which man was created, and the one purpose and the chief end for which God came to redeem man from his sin and to give unto us everlasting life was that we should glorify God. And that means that everything we do, our decisions, our marriages, our homes, our business, beloved, if you can't glorify God in the place where you're working, for Christ's sake, get yourself another job somewhere and let him help you do it. He will. If you can't glorify God in the place where you go to worship, 
go out and find a place of worship or start a place of worship and have a little church which is in thy house. If you can't glorify God in what you're doing at the present moment, stop it and get into some activity where you can glorify God. And what you do will be for the honor and for the glorious amplification of the name of the living and the true God who hath given us his grace to live. Now you bring it down to the particular. You glorify God in your dress. My, oh my. Something's going to really have to shake this country before long. Get some of these people to dress decently. It really is. It, it's a sad thing which is happening to, to the womanhood of this country and to even the young manhood of this country. Uh, I think I mentioned it on the radio yesterday, but I was out here in one of these meetings and we were walking down the street. It was in Pittsburgh. And I'll never forget it, Mr. Charles Whitman. Here we saw two people side by side walking down the street. And they looked exactly like they were, well, you didn't know whether they were a boy or a girl. You couldn't tell. But they were both exactly alike. Their hair was exactly alike. It was cut exactly like what there was cut of it. And uh, they had the same kind of a jacket on, the same kind of tight pants on, the same kind of pointed shoes on, and the same color exactly. And a boy was having a date with a girl. It was a boy with a girl, and they were out together. And you couldn't tell which was the boy and which was the girl. And ladies and gentlemen, I tell you people today, we're reaching a place where you've got to glorify God in your clothes, in your dress. Every little thing, whatsoever ye do, in word or in deed, that's the text. In word, indeed, do it all under the glory of God. And beloved, if that great text takes possession of your soul and your life, you'll be dead. You'll be dead. And you'll live and conduct yourself and carry on your ministry in a way which you believe will be pleasing to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can't pick up a paper anymore, but you don't read to some of these churches where they're having these dances in the churches. Now, they're having these uh, jazz masses all around here. I can't pick up a paper anymore. And kept, these kept coming in. And now they've got the aisles of the church full of all these flippers and everything else that are moving around, you know. And they come on down here and they put three eggs and an apple and a peach and something else. And that's the offering they put on the communion table. And then they go jazzing on out again and they've had worship. Did you ever see such an abuse and such an apostasy from the glory of Almighty God? They that worship must worship in spirit, and they that worship must worship in truth. And the only way in the world that this sort of thing is going to be set right is by you people saying, we must do everything that we do for the glory of our God and in the keeping with what he has set forth in his blessed word. All right? This sickness is not unto death, but that God shall be glorified. Did I not tell you that if you'd believe, you'd see the glory of God? And Father, I'm glorified in them. I've given you your words. All of them, they have it. And they've received them. 
And Father, I'm glorified because they believe that thou didst send me. And they know that I didst come from thee to bring unto them the treasure of life. And they've received it. And Father, now, here they are. They recognize that they are to be kept by me. I'm going to keep them. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to sustain them. Beloved, may I say to you people that if you believe that, if you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take care of you, you stand against all these forces in our world today which push God aside and they want to come in and take possession of you. And the greatest bulwark in behalf of life the greatest bulwark in behalf of freedom, the greatest bulwark in behalf of peace is that God will take care of his people when they trust him. Mm -hmm.